Hi, welcome to Lambert Park Church. Our vision is life with God for the world. Our mission is to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us through redemptive community, intentional discipleship, and everyday mission. We're so glad you're here. Stay tuned for the podcast coming right up. All right, Lauren, uh, he's our preacher today, um, and he's going to be continuing trekking with us in our series, Fruitable. If you're new with us this morning, uh, we are doing this series on the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Our pastor, Scott, is on sabbatical right now, so this has been a great opportunity to invite uh, people within our church to be preaching on Sundays. And so it's Lauren's turn, um, and I'm going to pray for him, and then he is going to dig into the Word with us and talk about peace today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to lift up Lauren to you uh, right now, God. Thank you for his willingness and obedience in stepping into this role as teacher this morning uh, for all the preparation he's been doing in the last couple months. Uh, God, I just, we know that when we step up here, we know that when we prepare these kinds of teachings, we're not doing it so that people hear our own voices. We do it so that people can hear your voice. And so I just pray, as Lauren speaks this morning, that your spirit would be upon him, that you'd be guiding his words. Uh, God, we know that you've been in the process. You've been guiding him as he's been writing his notes. But we also ask for this morning for your spirit to be with him. Uh, Lord, as he talks about peace, we just ask that you would open our own hearts, our own minds, our own ears to hear your word this morning and the hope of peace. Uh, We desperately need shalom. We desperately need wholeness and completeness in this world and in our own lives. So we look to you this morning, and we're excited for what you're going to say to us. May we be obedient in responding to your word this morning as well. So God, we give it over to Lauren, and I thank you for this opportunity to hear from you through him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Aaron. I was really hoping for one of those old school pulpits, the kind that are like the size of this piano, but taller, you can sort of hide behind, but uh, no hiding behind this one here. I guess that's the idea. I'm Lauren Haggerty. I've been attending Lambert Park for about three years now. We haven't met, along with my wife, April, and our three teenagers. Um, By day, I'm executive director of a Christian youth ministry in town called SALT's Sail and Life Training Society. You may have heard of it. We operate a couple of big tall ships, and we teach teens and young adults how to sail a tall ship and mentor them in the process and challenge them through that. I've been doing that for the last 16 years. Uh, This morning, as Aaron said, we're continuing a sermon series focused on the fruit of the Spirit, as described in Galatians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul shares that if the Spirit of God is at work in our lives, the fruit or result will show up by this familiar list, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This list is not exhaustive, but is meant to be representative of the Spirit's work in our lives. This morning, we're going to zoom in on the third fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5, peace. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. When I was asked if there was a particular fruit that I'd like to preach about most on this preaching team during Scott's absence, I chose peace, and not because it comes naturally or easily to me, not because I'm a peaceful person or I've mastered this, but rather because it's the fruit of the Spirit I think I've most struggled with in my life, most worked 
uh, and sought out, worked for and sought out. A quick disclaimer, as I talk about peace, this sermon does include some references to violence and while not graphic in nature, viewer discretion is advised. So what is peace? What comes to mind when you hear that word? You might think of a rainy Sunday afternoon by the fire with a good book. Uh, For me these days when I hear peace, I think of the war in Ukraine and the tragic lack of peace in that region. When the Bible speaks of peace, it means so much more than what I do when I think of that word, what I mean. The Old Testament uses the Hebrew word shalom, which we translate peace, but shalom means far more. It means all around well-being, wholeness, completeness, contentment, freedom from fear and want, and right relationships with God, others, and creation. Wow so much more all-encompassing and a radically different definition than what I would tend to think of just with the simple English word peace. Whether it's peace in a nation like Canada or a marriage or a family or a workplace, the absence of open conflict doesn't necessarily mean there's completeness and wholeness and health, of course. Paul didn't write the book of Galatians in the Hebrew language, so I don't wanna confuse those things, but he was well familiar with shalom as a scholar of what we now call the Old Testament. And both Paul and Jesus would have likely greeted others uh, several times a day with peace be with you. Even shalom is used as a greeting for hello and goodbye to this day. In the Bible, the word peace represents God's vision for a world and a people restored and made right with God and one another. Shalom is creation itself restored. It is the absence of sickness, suffering, and death. It's the world God intended and the world he originally created, described in Genesis chapter two as the Garden of Eden. It's a world that we desire, but it's certainly a world we don't fully experience today because of the brokenness from the fall of humankind into sin. When Adam and Eve chose to sin, they suddenly realized they were naked and they felt ashamed, so they hid from God and blamed one another. Insecurity, anxiety, and broken relationships with God and others showed up immediately. It is humanity's sinfulness, not God's will, that has the world in its current and sad state of brokenness. We long for shalom. We're painfully aware of its absence, which shows up as divisions, violence, wars, broken relationships, injustice, and inequality, sickness and death, exploitation of the earth rather than stewardship, and record levels of anxiety and depression. That's the bad news. But here is the good news of the gospel. The fruit of the spirit is shalom. Wholeness, completeness, restoration, right relationships between people and God and people and each other. The fruit of the spirit is peace. We know as Christians we won't fully experience this peace until Jesus returns as king, but we can experience a foretaste of shalom in our lives by the Spirit of God. And this morning I want to look at that through three different lenses. Pretty simple. Peace with God, inner peace, and peace with others. Peace with God. We receive the peace that God made. In Colossians 1, the Apostle Paul wrote, for God was pleased to have 
all his fullness dwell in him, that's Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So the gospel is really about peace through the blood of Jesus and the reconciliation of all things. That's God's desire. In Ephesians 2, Paul wrote, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For Jesus himself is our peace. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. By allowing himself to be crucified on a cross despite being without sin, Jesus opened the door for peace between God and anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus, anyone who puts their trust in him. The fruit of the Spirit is peace with God through Jesus. That's the heart of the gospel, and it's a message that I accepted and believed at a very young age, but some 40 years later, I'm still seeking the fruit of the Spirit in my life and working for that. Gordon Fee wrote, when we receive the Spirit at conversion, divine perfection does not settle in, but divine infection does. It's a quote that hasn't necessarily aged well in the pandemic, but it still makes a good point. Trusting in Jesus means we're right with God, but it doesn't mean all of our relationships are suddenly, automatically perfected. In addition to the peace that God made, there is also the peace that God gives. And this is a peace that we must put into practice daily. Inner peace, we practice the peace that God gives. In John 14, the words of Jesus are recorded. And he said, all this I've spoken while, I, while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The world offers peace that is situational. Just buy this product. Just have this experience. Just look a certain way or achieve certain things and you'll have peace and happiness. The peace God gives is a peace regardless of circumstances. The message, this message may seem shallow if both Jesus and Paul hadn't both been through imprisonment, torture, and ultimately death for the sake of the, of the gospel. When Paul wrote to the Christians in Ephesus that Jesus is our peace, he was not at the day spa he was imprisoned in Rome where he would later be killed. We worship in comfortable chairs. Paul worshiped in chains. So whatever your circumstances this morning, let Jesus be your peace as well. There is wholeness, completeness, and contentment in Jesus for the fruit of the spirit of Jesus is peace. This peace of God doesn't just happen to us. It takes practice. Peace needs to be cultivated in our lives like fruit. We are not likely to grow grapefruit or limes by accident. And we're not likely to grow fruit of the Spirit without our own effort. And yet, we cannot do it alone apart from God's Spirit, who is at work in us. So our goal, as has been said earlier in this series, is to make room in our lives for the Spirit to work in us, not just try harder to be fruitful on our own. Paul, writing from prison to the Ephesians, says make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Or in Romans, 
make every effort to do what leads to peace. So we don't sit back and simply wait for that Holy Spirit to do it. Without our effort, it's a combination of the two. We have the Holy Spirit and now we make every effort to walk in the Spirit, experiencing the fruit of the Spirit that is peace. A settled trust in God's care for us regardless of our circumstances. This is much easier said than done. It takes time and deliberate effort daily to experience that peace and live out what is already true. If you were thrown into prison for doing nothing wrong, what would your thoughts be? Paul's prison thoughts to the Philippian Christians, Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. We know this passage, but what's remarkable is where it was written from. These words are remarkable even without that, but that's amazing to think that he was in prison writing this. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is not just talking about the fruit of the Spirit. He is demonstrating it for us before our very eyes in his own hardships. He urges us to train our minds in the way of the Spirit of peace. Instead of pursuing self-sufficiency, we depend on God in prayer. Instead of grumbling, we have gratitude for what we do have. We center our minds on goodness, wholeness, completeness, and shalom. I feel inadequate to say these words because life can be very hard and so many are going through such hard things. So I'll let the suffering servant Paul speak these words from prison about the suffering Messiah. Jesus is our peace. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, he instructed us, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be added, given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The peace that Jesus calls us to is a freedom from anxiety and panic, especially that which is disproportionate to our circumstances. We cannot worry and trust God at the same time. Put another way, often, though not necessarily always, worry is a symptom of not trusting in God, and peace is a fruit of trusting in God. I'll talk about some of those exceptions maybe in a bit. In this passage, Jesus says what I think is one of the most prophetic and ironic statements in the Bible, at least to me, it's always struck me as really incredibly prophetic and witty. He says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? And I'm sure his hearers went, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, no one would ever think that worrying could lengthen your life. But a couple thousand years later with medical science and research, we hear constantly, you know, or regularly stories of, of studies showing how worry and anxiety can harm our physical health and shorten our life. You can't lengthen your life by worrying was understatement, but you can worry yourself sick and you can worry yourself to death. So it seems like Jesus is giving medical, you know, truths 
2,000 years before his time that I'm now reading about in the media as they report on research studies and going, yeah, you know, Jesus kind of wittily understated that a couple thousand years ago. And conversely, poor physical and mental health can cause worry. Anxiety disorders and depression are the two most common mental illnesses. When I was 18 years old, I moved away from home, far away from home, to go to college. I'd grown up in a small town, Gold River, on the North Island, where everyone knew everyone else, and suddenly I was in a much bigger school, big to me anyway, where I didn't know anyone. It was a period of rapid change from about age 18 through into my mid-20s, of course, as it tends to be, joining music and drama teams, joining student council, dating, getting married to April, joining the staff of the college and starting my career, and it was quickly taking off and Get, you know, I got a couple early promotions, everything seemed to be going well, but under the surface, I was dealing with anxiety that I really couldn't talk to anybody about because it was a source of shame for me. Eventually, I was able to share with April before we got married about it. It was showing up, uh, one of the symptoms of it was I began to sweat more than usual, and uh, that was a little embarrassing, and I became anxious about the fact that I was sweating more than normal, and that made me sweat more than normal, and that made me anxious, and that made me sweat. And it was this gradual thing over a few years, but eventually it got to a point where I was like, here my career is taking off. I think I might need to just quit my job, my ministry, leadership altogether, um, and go find somewhere <laughs> to be a hermit. Um, and uh, fortunately, I was able to get some uh, medicine that helped control the sweating that very quickly broke that cycle of anxiety in my mind uh, so that even a couple months later, I didn't need any medicine anymore because that, that mental cycle of anxiety was, was broken. So as I said, from the outset, I didn't choose to preach about peace because it's something that comes easy to me. And I don't think that medicine took all my anxiety away either. <laughs> didn't treat anxiety. I was for sweating. But it's you know, one of the fruits of the Spirit that I've thought the most about and sought the most and wrestled with the most. At the time, that was a deep source of shame for me, and I thought, I'm the only one in the world who deals with this. The internet was in the early stages. You really couldn't find out, is there anyone else out there that struggles from these things? So for years, I just thought, this is some weird, unique thing that's only happening to me, this anxiety. Nobody else has this, do they? Now I've come to learn it's so incredibly common, the anxiety in particular that shows up in various forms. I don't pretend to know exactly how spiritual and mental health dimensions of this topic intersect. I'm pretty sure that all worriers need to trust God and pray, but some also need medical assistance or medicine or therapy. And I don't want to over-spiritualize to the point where I assume causes are solely spiritual, even though our spiritual lives play a role in everything. The church and society need to continue to destigmatize conversations about mental health so that we know we're not alone when we experience mental health challenges. We all get colds and flus. Sometimes we get mental illnesses too. They're extremely common, but just so much harder to talk about, but I think becoming easier as we talk about them more openly. Jesus is our peace, and he has not only left us his spirit, he's left us his church, our community, our family, whose love and support we need, even if everything in us wants to run away and hide. And that family includes doctors and nurses and pharmacists and therapists, some of whom are even in this room. But yes, there's a significant spiritual dimension to peace. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. 
we train our minds not to worry and cast all our anxieties on the one who cares for us. A life filled with peace is a powerful witness to the gospel. Worry may be a symptom of a heart not aligned with God, a lack of faith. If our hope is in our bank accounts, our home equity, our possessions, our good looks, our physical health, our gifts, our connections, we will worry for these things cannot save us and will not last. Ah, how easy it is to understand this truth and how hard it is to live it out daily. It's a daily struggle for me, but a struggle worth having even rather than giving in to a lack of shalom, a lack of peace. Peace with others. We make the peace that God commands. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, not blessed are the peacekeepers. While the peacekeeper seeks to keep a peace that is already present, a peacemaker pursues acts of reconciliation and restoration. We are called to live in peace with others as much as we reasonably can and to work for peace. We are to seek wholeness in the world, completeness and reconciliation. We are to work for right relationships with others. Now here's a tough question that I came across as I was working on this. If the fruit of the Spirit is peace, and Jesus said to be peacemakers, why did he also say in Matthew 10, 34, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Presumably not a cardboard sword either. <laughs> why does Matthew 21 record, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those who were selling doves. Which is it? Be peacemakers? or I did not come to bring peace. Though a skeptic would likely point to these as a contradiction in the Bible, as is so often the case, context really matters. When Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, he was commissioning the disciples to spread the gospel and letting them know up front that doing so was going to cause a lot of conflict and division. It ended up getting most of them killed. Jesus was willing to enter into conflict as he also did when he turned over the tables in the temple courts, when it was necessary to bring about a more comprehensive peace. Jesus did not come to bring an absence of conflict. He came to bring a much broader peace, peace with God. This is consistent with the much broader definition of the word shalom described earlier, not his absence of conflict, but his wholeness, completeness, and reconciliation. Jesus did not come to bring peace like the world gives, but a much more lasting and all-encompassing peace. But Jesus is not a peacekeeper. He is a peacemaker and calls us to be the same. He was not passive or silent in the face of brokenness or disorder in the world, and nor should we be. Peacemaking means, uh, often means discomfort and disruption, as entering into the world's brokenness is messy, even controversial. We do not avoid conflict when conflict is needed for the purpose of bringing out a broader peace. But nor do we delight in conflict, seek it out or create it unnecessarily. We need the wisdom to know the difference. 
We pursue gentleness, speaking the truth in love with the humility to recognize that unlike Jesus, we are not the Messiah. And so turning over tables is probably not the best thing, most of the time at least. Jesus wasn't creating conflict to protect his ego or honor or to advance his own selfish agenda or interests. When he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and Peter pulled out a sword and cut off the servant of the high priest's ear, Jesus healed him, even though the person was coming to help arrest Jesus. He treated even his opponents with value and dignity. He submitted to a painful death on the cross because the violence against him led to shalom at a much deeper level, peace with God through Jesus' blood. Blessed are the peacemakers. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. Jesus is our peace. Now, I did not come to value peace with others easily either. I was born into a devout Christian home with a wonderful family who I love very much. I came to faith at a very young age. And by the time I was in my early teens, I was regularly leading Bible studies and youth group events. Probably could have recited the fruits of the Spirit from memory. But our family had a biblical blind spot. The males in our family were sometimes violent with each other. And what I now recognize was behavior passed down from previous generations, probably behavior that maybe I I hope is less common today, but was more common then when I was growing up. Jesus said to turn the other cheek. We knew that very well, but someone really makes you mad. And so it was on Labor Day weekend, 1992, 30 years ago this fall, my big brother and I got into a scuffle on the front lawn. I had him in a headlock, but his hands could still reach my face, and I ended up with a black eye and a fat lip. Now, I might have long forgotten about that, one of several fights I got into growing up, but the next day was the first day of school, grade 10 for me and grade 12 for my brother. And I spent that day answering questions about my appearance. And at some point along the way, it dawned on me, I was embarrassed to have lost a fight and everyone could see it. But my older brother, two years ahead of me in school, lost something as well. His reputation was taking a beating because people could clearly see he was much bigger than me and looked like he was picking on me. And so I realized we both lost this fight. We both lost something. Fighting is lose-lose. You cannot win a fight. And so I decided I wasn't going to fight anymore, and for 30 years since, I haven't. I decided I was going to learn to control my anger and break a cycle of intergenerational violence. Our son just turned 18 last month, and it was a positive milestone for me as well, just recognizing he's growing up, and that cycle has been broken. But even after giving up violence, I still loved to argue, loved to prove someone else wrong. But you can't win an argument either. As Dale Carnegie wrote, someone convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. (laughs) In 2015, I went through a significant conflict in the workplace with the team that I lead at work in a Christian ministry, no less. That conflict came to a head and it seemed like something was gonna need to change. Either I or others were gonna need to leave or be fired or something because we just couldn't work it out. 
And so out of desperation, I called a therapist that I know, a Christian therapist down in Oregon, and I said, Larry, I need help. Can I come and spend a week with you? Because I knew he did some week-long intensive therapy sessions for people in ministry. And we agreed to the timing, and I got off the phone, and then I thought, what have I done? I've never been to an hour of therapy in my life, and I just signed up for 35 hours of therapy in one week. (laughs) When I told my colleagues that I was doing this, even before I went, the ice started to melt. Things started to change. They started to see Lauren's going to own his part in this. He's going to work on himself. And after I spent that week with Larry, one of my colleagues came to me and said, is there any way that I could go and do that too? And then a second one came to me and said, hey, any chance that I could go spend a week with Larry too? And so the ice melted as we focused on ourselves instead of others when everything in us said blame the other person because they're clearly at fault. Everything in me said argue your way out of this. You can win this with logic. But our hearts were hardened towards each other. Trust in our team has been building ever since and it's never been stronger. Seven years later, the same people that I worked with, many of them back then, and uh, were, were close friends and colleagues. I've learned that my natural reactions to conflict, for me it's fight, for others it's flight or freeze, uh, they tend to make things far worse. I have to get past those responses and live out of the spirit of peace. Counselor Larry taught me that conflict is a gift because it opens up a window to deep inside of us that we may not get to see very often. It's like a portal to what's going on deep inside of us that we hide, that we don't let up so that even we can't see it. When, for example, anger bubbles over and it's really fear or sadness down within us. So Larry's all about learning from conflict. That when conflict arises, you take time afterwards to debrief and look deep inside of yourself and say, what was really going on down here? What were those feelings that I felt that led me to anger on the surface? and seek to learn and grow. It's a tremendous opportunity to do that. The problem is our natural tendency is not to look inward, it's to look outward. Our problems tend to not be out there or out there or with others. They tend to be deep inside of us and that's where we need to go. Uh, Larry also said that something that I found encouraging, he said, you're never gonna always respond to conflict the right way every time. And so the best that you can hope for is that sometimes you know you're gonna mess up and you're gonna have to ask for forgiveness from others. And I found that encouraging. It wasn't like, all right, from now on, I'm gonna get this every time, I'm gonna be perfect. No, uh, I'm gonna do my best to walk in the spirit and be a peacemaker with others. So what? Now what? As in, where do we go from here? Author and pastor Trevor Hudson wrote, we're far better at loving the idea of peace than at making peace within the realities of our lives. So how do we live in peace? Well, we begin by accepting the free gift of peace with God through Jesus as we accept the punishment that he took on the cross on our behalf. I presume 
I'm preaching to the choir, preaching to the converted when I say that, but I think it's worth saying for those who haven't accepted that gift. We train our minds to remain at peace and to recognize when those fight, flight, or freeze responses are getting wound up unnecessarily so we can calm ourselves and return to peace. We pursue wholeness and completeness, shalom in our own lives. Facing our true selves, admitting our weaknesses and brokenness to trusted brothers and sisters in Christ and finding healing. We become quick to apologize when we get things wrong. My wife, April, has said to me that I usually do apologize when I need to. It's just that it usually doesn't happen until the next day. It's like Lauren Prime offers next day delivery of apologies, but I'm working on moving it to same day delivery. When we find ourselves in conflict with someone, we avoid gossip or triangulation, which is when we go to someone other than the source of the conflict for advice, but really to make us feel better about our part, to get them on our side, on our team, supporting us, rather than going to the source of the conflict. So now the conflict between two is a triangle between three or more. Uh, Matthew 18 has a template for conflict resolution that involves beginning by going to the source of the conflict, obviously in the right way, but not going to others and escalating the conflict that way. When conflict or anxiety arises and we find ourselves responding in ways that are disproportionate to the danger we're actually in, as in some things should create anxiety. If a bear is chasing you, you should feel anxious. That would be normal, but... These responses happen when we're not really in danger. Um, We own our part in them and seek to learn from the conflict, as I've said, even when everything wants us to blame others, like Adam and Eve quickly did in the Garden of Eden. We speak the truth in love, not avoiding conflict. For, For some, your story would all be the opposite of mine. It'd be about a family that just ignored the elephant in the room, just brushed everything under the carpet, just wouldn't deal with anything because you thought, oh, we, we, can't, we can't face the conflict. It'll go badly. It went badly for me before, so I can't. So for some, it's the opposite, that struggle to just be willing to be a peacemaker instead of a peacekeeper. Uh, but for me, my story's my own, and we speak the truth in love, not avoiding conflict, but not using words attitudes, volume, or tone that escalates conflict and creates division, as even some of my own desire to debate things sometimes does. We obviously refrain from acts of violence, but also avoiding tone of voice or volume or posture that can create the fear in others that violence may be coming. We break cycles of intergenerational violence or of conflict avoidance by dealing with family of origin issues and carefully examine our discipline practices with children to ensure they're not abusive or done out of anger. Sometimes seeking peace means walking away. We don't tolerate abusive relationships. Here's a couple specific of my own ideas, if I can share them. Perhaps, perhaps, we should rewrite wedding vows. I mean, to say, To have and to hold, to love and to cherish is great, but it's awfully general. You know, what if we said, 
I promise I'll never yell at you. I'll never hit you. I'll never force or coerce you. I'll never belittle or insult or embarrass you. Perhaps that's not as romantic. It just seems to me like the current vows are only working about half the time. What if, what if we scheduled post-marital checkups with therapists the way we schedule checkups with dentists and car mechanics? As in, at regular intervals, rather than waiting until everything is broken beyond repair, and then drag it into the shop and say, can you fix this mess? You're a fixer, aren't you? Fix this. And finally, let's listen with compassion to the experiences of our brothers and sisters who are from marginalized and oppressed groups and have compassion and love for the experiences they've had with the church and society without being defensive and with far more interest in repenting of our own sin than judging others. I heard this quote recently. The work of the Holy Spirit is inward to convict, not outward to judge and critique others. What a, what a challenge. What a wonderful challenge. I'm so thankful uh, for the fruit of the Spirit. I'm so thankful that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he promised uh, his Spirit would come and that his Spirit is a Spirit of peace. The fruit of the Spirit is shalom. This means peace with God, wholeness within ourselves, and loving relationships with others. Peace be with you. I'm going to call the band up, and I should have done it a minute ago because I'm, I'm done. So <laughs> what other stories do I have? Tell you what, I'm going to give them some time by reading the prayer of St. Francis. So pray this with me. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring love. Where there is offense, let me bring pardon. Where there is discord, let me bring union. Where there is error, let me bring truth. Where there is doubt, let me bring faith. Where there is despair, let me bring hope. Where there is darkness, let me bring your light. Where there is sadness, let me bring joy. Oh, Master, let me not seek as much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that one receives. It is in self-forgetting that one finds. It is in pardoning that one is pardoned. It is in dying that one is raised to eternal life. Peace be with you all.